what a time for WSL football. Plenty to talk about. More rivalry on the Box to Box podcast this week, which is fun. Uh, I'm your host, Alex Ibaceta, and I'm with Abdul Abdullah and Chelsea Parker Humphreys. Let's 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 start with Abdullah. How are you? Doing absolutely fantastic. Bit of a bit of a, a good weekend of football. A bit of back and forth. A bit of hiding behind sofas. If I'm taking a leaf out of Jesse's book here, uh, and a little bit of like nail biting. But you know what? We're good. At the end of the day, we're good. Now we're excited. I'm excited for Friday. Jesse, not a lot of time to recover between the Sunday and Friday. How are you, how are you holding up? I know. I'm still riding the high from Sunday right now. I don't know when that's going to start swinging down to like pure fear for Friday, but I'm going to enjoy where I am. Um, you know, I think the club's in a good position. Love being able to do the double over Manchester City for the first time ever. So, you know, you've got to celebrate while whilst you're winning. A lot of positives and a lot to cover. So let's start with that. Um, let me say this before I can't say it anymore. Arsenal remain top of the WSL. Two points clear from Chelsea in second, but Chelsea do have a game in hand. And of course, we clash on Friday, February 11th. Um, and Jesse and I will be watching that together. Well, I don't, not, I don't think we'll be sitting together necessarily, but we'll try to see. I, know, I think if we anyone to wants to swap. If anyone wants to, I'm going to put this on the pod because I'm not doing very well on Facebook. But if anyone wants to swap a North Stand ticket for a South Stand ticket so I can sit with Alex, um, hit me up, please. Hit me up. Otherwise, for the sake of this podcast, if anybody yeah, wants to sponsor tickets, flights, accommodation, anything, <laughs> I'll be open to taking that. <laughs> but yes, we'll 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 try our best so we can watch it together. With Alice, of course, I'm putting that in there. And obviously, Manchester United sit in third with Tottenham just a point off in fourth. So that third place spot is actually getting a bit tasty as well. Um, Man City slowly working their way up, unfortunately. Um, slowly but surely, let's hope that they fall down again. Um, but they sit in sixth place, five points off the Champions League spot and 10 points off the top of the table. So a lot still to go to Man City, but according to Gareth Taylor... Um, they're still in the in the title race contention, um, and we we know that Gareth Taylor isn't one to be trusted on what he says. Um, so let's just leave it at that. And looking at the bottom of the table, Leicester City got a big big two one win over Birmingham City, which means Birmingham sit last uh, with four points, and Leicester opened a five point gap between them and the bottom of the table. So that's a big win. It's going to be really hard for Birmingham to kind of climb out of that now. And sitting third from the bottom, just we won't cover it on the podcast, um, but sitting third from the bottom is Everton with 11 points, who are now without a manager after Jean-Luc Vassure has left the club. Uh, a cheeky press release from Everton at 12 a.m. Um, trying to hide it from everyone. But yeah, that, that lasted a long time and we can get into that um, once we cover more. But this is a warning at the beginning of this podcast is that we will be talking mainly about Chelsea and Arsenal and we'll cover two matches at the end that aren't Chelsea and Arsenal involved. Um, but we will be heavily focused on the matches that happened over the last two weeks and the match that's going to happen on Friday. So listen if you want, listen if you don't. Um, but yeah, there's there's plenty to talk about there. Interesting, even if you're not a fan of Chelsea or Arsenal. I think it's, it's, it's a really good show of what the WSL is about and a really show of, of top, top players. But let's get into it. The last two weeks have been eventful at the top of the table with a bunch of emotions going everywhere. 
both Chelsea and Arsenal dropped points the week of the 23rd. Arsenal threw 1-1 with Man City and Chelsea held were held to a goalless draw by Brighton. Um, Jesse thinks that the stadium is cursed and that's the entire reason why Chelsea um, <laughs> drew. It is cursed! Uh, <laughs> Just to say that every time, what is it? Every time Chelsea go there, they they lose or or draw. They haven't have they won there? I think we've we've won we've won there once. I think we won there the first time we went. No, we won last season. Sorry, we won last season. I think we won four, three or four seasons ago. But we drew two seasons ago, and we obviously drew this season. So, and the games are always boring. I think that's the thing. Even when <laughs> even when we won last season, it was like the dullest game in the world. So, so that stadium is cursed. Clearly. And obviously Arsenal 1-1 draw with Man City with a very big controversial um, call from the ref, but we're, we're not going to get into that because I can't be asked right now. Um, and then the fun started. Um, fun started this weekend. Arsenal went down 1-0 against Manchester United and Katie McCabe got a red card. A second yellow, um, unfortunate second yellow. Jesse described it as it was one of those that it was both of their faults. Um, but then I looked at it on slow-mo and I think Katie did get studs to Onabaya's ankle, which looked very painful. But anyway, arguably the best assist of the year, probably of ever, um, from Vivian Miedema to put Stinas Blackstenius on goal and to equalize in the 79th minute. If you haven't seen that assist, please do and watch it on repeat 100 times at least. Um, and then you'll kind of get the feel for it. But of course... In the other side of London, Chelsea managed a 1-0 win over Manchester City thanks to a go-right-in header in the 14th minute and now inch closer to Arsenal. Um, I'm trying to remain as neutral as I am for these introductions of the games without sounding too nervous. Um, but right, let's let's start with a couple of comments of how unpredictable Chelsea and Ar- Arsenal are at the moment. I think what pisses me off most about Arsenal, I, thought, I had this thought this morning randomly with my coffee, was that I think what pisses me off the most is that Arsenal are not consistently bad or consistently good. They're just kind of all over the place and you can't, you literally cannot know what's going to happen. So that's kind of pissing me off. But these are the kind of top comments you can think as if you have a fancy coffee machine. Listen, if you've not gone on Alex's <laughs> Twitter and seen how posh our coffee machine is, you know, this is the level, intellectual levels you could be reaching if you too had a, had a posh coffee machine like hers. Can you imagine? That's all the intelligence comes from me from the coffee machine. I, I didn't I'm have very that. jealous. I would I just have an espresso machine. I mean, am I what where am I in, in the scale of smart intelligence here? I think that's good. I've just got a cafetiere, so I'm I'm at the bottom. So we have three tiers of coffee you know, machines actually, on the actually, The only the only type of coffee making machine that I'm missing is a French press. So so we have definitely have three tiers of coffee. We have Alex with the expert level. I am there with the lazy, just press a button with a capsule, and then Jesse's just there. <laughs> Depends, to be fair, I think it depends more on the coffee than the actual coffee-making <laughs> machine. Anyway, That's, coffee yeah. is very important. Um, it's the reason why I live outside of that Vivian Miedema assist. Um, but Jesse, a goalless draw against Brighton and then a win over Manchester City. Do you think Chelsea are going to get back into good rhythm now that players are slowly returning? Yeah, we did beat... Um, you're doing a dirty a bit. We did beat West Ham secretly midweek as well, so... We, we have an extra, extra win. But I think um, the win over United as well in the in the Conti Cup was nice too. I do feel like 
It's really hard when you're in the kind of situation Chelsea were in thinking about the Reading game, the Juve game, excluding the Wolfsburg game because that was just genuinely terrible. But then the Brighton game where, you know, three of those games, it's very hard to argue that Chelsea played that poorly. Like they created good chances and it just didn't happen. And I don't really always know how to quantify those kind of results. Um, But I do think, you know, I think you can see a bit more confidence from the side I think you can see players getting back into form I feel like um we hadn't really seen the best of harder until the past kind of two weeks um coming back off the, off the injury that that she had been back in November actually um probably the only player who's not really quite at it at the moment is Fran Kirby so that's like a bit of an interesting thing to see how Hayes manages that because I feel like She's definitely felt like the the weak link, and it's not really something she's ever had in her career, to be honest. So it'll be an interesting thing to see to see what happens there. Um, obviously, Sam Kerr's back now. Jisoo Young will be coming back soon. Um, so I feel like whilst there are still players missing with injury, we're definitely moving back in the right direction in in having players available. And I think, you know. The thing that makes me feel more confident, and this could be awful, like famous last words, um, is because Chelsea have done in the past strong, like long winning runs together. Um, We know that they can do that. We know that they're the kind of team that once they get rolling, they carry on going. Um, I sound like a broken record, but they're statistically far better than any other team in the WSL this season. So there's kind of no reason to think that they've not just kind of come out of a bit of an artificial slump and are ready to just go from, from here all the way to May. It might not happen like that, but I, I don't think it's a bad position for the club to be in by, by any means. Famous last words. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Abdullah, Arsenal are struggling to get through matches um, much more than you would want them to. Um, but they're doing just enough to pick up equalizing goals, especially in the last couple matches. What do you think is the biggest factor of their current struggle? I think if you look at the overall team, I mean, you've got pretty much all selections in midfield. You've got selections up front. Obviously, now that Stina Blackstenius has come in, you've got that option as well in terms of being able to pick between Blackstenius, pick between Miedema, even though Miedema is playing a little bit deeper. So I think it really comes down to the back the back line. Um, and I, I mean, I'm not saying that this is probably the single biggest issue, but I think a, a good portion of why Arsenal might be struggling is because of Leah Williamson's fitness and injury. I think that's, that's kind of been key this season. I mean, the way she has this huge control and this huge effect over the way Arsenal play out from the back. Um, her passing is probably the best of the, of the back four. Um, if not probably uh, of the team, I think one of the top of the team. Um, and I think that her sort of a calmness and, and being able to read the game and intelligence in and out of possession I think has been a huge factor in the way Arsenal play because, um, you know, when you, though Leah Volti, I think is, is, is a very competent and, and good, good pass over the ball. I think it, it really does help when someone like Alea Williamson really takes up the, um, takes up the spaces and kind of gives Leah Volti more time to be able to do what she does. Um, so when the ball does eventually go to her, she's got more time to pick up passes. Whereas now, um, you know, it, it, there's a lot more onus on other players like Volti and, and, you know, the other center backs, whoever does fill in eventually, whether it's Catley or, or Jen Beatty and whoever to kind of do the same thing. And they just don't have the same prowess that Leah Williamson does. And I think, that's causing Arsenal to start slowly and just not really have that fluid movement out from the back into into midfield and then up front. Um, 
you know, obviously against United, we saw that there was a struggle for at least 45, 50 minutes. And then they, they started switching things up by, you know, by, by moving a few things around. And, and then we started seeing Arsenal flow a little bit more and get into the game and, and, and dominate. And obviously then they scored in the last, you know, 10 minutes of the game. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it, it does come back down to the way they build up from the back and, and, and Leah Williams is a huge part of that. Yeah. I think that's pretty fair to say. And we'll start by analyzing the, the Arsenal Man United match first just because it happened first for no other reason. And Alessio Russo scored a header from a corner kick, which I thought the header was pretty slow. Um, but miscommunication between McCabe and Ensensberger kind of let that go through, unfortunately. And it is worth noting that the pitch was shit. Um, and it did slow down a lot of Arsenal's fluidity in passing. Uh, there was a lot of passes that would go out to the wing and so bunch of space and it just completely stopped because of the pitch um but regardless arsenal still played bad so let's not use that as an excuse um and yeah as abdullah mentioned arsenal were missing leo williamson i can't say the name leo williamson in the back uh rafael and heath weren't fit enough for 90 minutes so even if they needed that couldn't be couldn't just happen uh beth mead went down which was lovely uh steph catley and caitlin ford just got back from the Asian cup. So essentially there wasn't really a consistent training um, with this entire team in the week leading up to this. Um, So hopefully this week they get a bit of consistency back. That's just me hoping for the best. Um, But Arsenal Man United finished equal with 12 attempts on goal and four of them on target and Arsenal edged possession with 60%. Though the one stat that I did find interesting, and I think it kind of reflected well on this game, was that Arsenal only managed to have a 75% passing accuracy in this match, um, where they've averaged over 80% passing accuracy in their last four WSL matches. And the fifth one being, of course, their 2-0 win over Manchester United in the league. And we're talking against Man City, you know, they still averaged over 80%. Um, so I think you can get the picture that Arsenal's biggest letdown was kind of struggling to, to build play from the back end and getting those like cheeky attacking um, advantages that they usually kind of do with Lee Williamson in the back, for example. But Steph Catley and Jen B. started as center backs with McCabe and Maritz as full backs. Um, so that's kind of your back line, which isn't ideal in terms of center backs, considering when we're talking here about playing out and, and Man United, I think, played with a pretty high press. But Jesse, what are your thoughts on Arsenal's performance? Yeah, I think definitely the, the Leah Williamson question. I don't think it's everything because, you know, I think... We saw in the Brighton game that Arsenal played midweek where basically they had two kind of soft Beth Mead free kicks, bail them out. But there's still, even with Leah Williamson playing, there's still some issues, I think, with with build-up going on there. But it definitely felt like against United, they just had no way of playing out of United's press. I thought Leah Volti was really struggling to figure out how to, and this is less, I think, a Leah Volti thing and more a well-done United thing, but was really struggling to figure out how to position herself Um in a way that kind of helped uh, Catley and BT get the get the ball out to her. Um, I mean, I also will say is that I thought Mary Earps had a really good game. There were a number of like just good individual Arsenal moments that I think in a different game would have would have counted for more. Um, Miedemar had a good shot. Heath had a good shot. Um, both of which I think she did well with. Um, BT, I think, had a header from corner as well, which I thought saved well. So, you know, I think Erps is a goalkeeper who's in, in clearly in really good form right now. Um, 
And I think Arsenal almost had the opposite problem. Zinsberger, I think, looked better towards the end of the game, but she felt quite nervy at start two, which I don't think was helping with with the build-up play. Um, plus, yeah, then the, the pitch problem, which um, it's not a great look for the club, is it, when, you know, they hire the pitch and then their own manager is complaining about it. But I'm sure Idaval will enjoy the carpet. So that is King's Meadow on Friday night. Um, yeah, it... I thought Arsenal looked a lot better when they did kind of put Viv back into midfield. And it'll be interesting to see whether he leads on that because obviously the goal was spectacular. Um, but we know Viv likes doing that anyway, that dropping back thing. And then everyone's like, oh, but then there's no one up front. And now Arsenal have a player who can just play up front. So you could just leave it like that all the time. So, um, yeah. And I guess the only other thing that I thought was interesting, uh, I don't know what you guys thought about this, was I kind of felt you saw maybe a bit of a, a Tobin Heath problem in terms of how little it felt like she was able to help Katie McCabe out down that like left-hand side. Um, United obviously had Bacchia and Rousseau playing down what was their right-hand side attacking, which is, you know, quite a, a tricky combo at the best of times. And it just felt like Heath couldn't really figure out. And I don't know whether it's because she had like an existing issue or whatever. She obviously has to go off half-time. Um, but it couldn't figure, she couldn't figure out how best to support McCabe. She was either coming too far back and then there was no kind of out ball or she like wasn't there at all. And then McCabe kind of had Batier and Rousseau to deal with. So um, again, I think that's a bit of a, an interesting an interesting one for Idaval to, to try and figure out. Tim Summon did a good analysis on the way that Man United were kind of closing off that what is Arsenal's left side? What is United's right side? Um, oh, and I do have a quote from Jesse here that says, Midama in midfield, tactical genius confirmed. <laughs> it's because Alex, Alex and I, would, when the substitution was made, Alex was texting me like, can you tell me what formation is being played? And I wasn't, like, I wasn't watching really live sure. at this moment. I'm not really so need- sure. And then so when I was like, I think Viv's in midfield. And so then when obviously the, the assist happened, I was like, well, there we go. Tactical genius confirmed. But yeah, in terms of the United press, um, Tim did really well to analyze that bit because Alessia Russo was doing well to cut off what is usually... I think that ball is usually through to Kim Little um, when it goes from center back through the middle of the pitch and then Kim Little either lays it back to McCabe and then goes up, et cetera, et cetera. But Alessia Russo was doing really well to cut off those passing lanes and maybe Arsenal were just a bit too timid, I think, um, which is probably the main reason why I'm kind of concerned for Friday because of, and Abdullah, I'll ask you this after obviously, but the aggression that Chelsea have Arsenal don't. So in this example, Man United, they're not even an aggressive press. They're just stood in the right positions, forcing play in the way that they want. And Arsenal just don't have just, I mean, they do have, they just didn't have in this match kind of the, the cheekiness that, players need to kind of get out of this in the best way possible and for everyone to follow. And this is where Leo Williamson again is big, but I just don't think Arsenal have that aggression and kind of drive to do that much better and have, you know, even if it is fake, have the confidence to play out of that and kind of do their best. And they just kind of, I think they just kind of shy back and panic at the end of the day, which obviously isn't great, but Abdullah going off that Man United opted to play high press Whenever the centre-backs got the ball, Ella Toon would press, Alessio Russo would drop in and cut off the passing lanes. Um, and obviously, Arsenal's biggest attack is down the left side, as we have mentioned, and, and as it's really obvious to anyone who watches any Arsenal match. How effective do you think it 
this high press was and knowing that Chelsea can high press that much better, can it be a big downside for Arsenal this Friday? I think so, because I think kind of what you, 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 uh, what Jesse kind of alluded to the Tobin Heath point, I think that makes sense because, you know, if, if Beth Mead is, is still pretty active on her side of the pitch, right. She'll help out her fullback. She kind of knows the positioning. She's been playing well, you know, one of Arsenal's best players this season. Um, but I think the fact that um, when you saw both Signe Brun and Alessia Russo and Ella Toon, and especially with Brun and Toon in the, the Brun and Toon twin, a combination, there you go, um, them pressing up high against the two center backs. I'm going to coin that as my thing now. Um, the, once they pressed up against the two center backs, they just blocked off two major passing lanes for United, uh, for, for Arsenal. And at that point, you're almost they're almost trapping them into going into into one of the wide areas, and you have the other, obviously the fullback or the center midfielders pushing up. And I think Chelsea have this have a similar thing when they can use Sam Kerr, they can use Penny Lahada, and then behind them they have, you know, when you have Aaron Castle playing a double pivot like she has been playing, you can push her up, and then you know that you can get a girl right and then whoever's on the right hand side to do the same thing. So I think. Chelsea also have like three, four players similar to the way United pressed. I think they can do the same thing, if not a little bit better um, and, and kind of trap them better. And I think that should be worrying for, for Arsenal because then it becomes, do they then force them to go long? And then you go into a Millie Bright and Iknawa, you know, battle in the air, which is again, always difficult. Um, so I think for Chelsea, it'll really be coming down to how well can they stop, you know, uh, Arsenal getting, getting the ball down into the wide areas. Um but I think we've seen this season that Chelsea off the ball have improved massively. And I think they're doing a lot better now than they did before, especially with the with the switch from the three to the, to the four now again. Um, and and the Ingle Cuthbert double pivot, I think in the last two games, it's been probably one of my favorites so far this season. I really think that it's been it's been so it's 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 fine, and I, and I hate being a broken record, but it's brought the balance back. It's brought the balance into the team, and this is something that we've been crying about from the beginning. Brer's the balance. We need players to bring balance. Cuthbert brings you energy, dynamism. She breaks up play, and she can she can take it forward and attack. Ingle is a calm presence, can sit, defend, screen the back four, and really play out uh, recycling balls. And she knows where to position herself to be able to intercept. And I think she's because of that, she can cut out balls. And I think that combination alone for Chelsea, and whether it's a 4 4 2 or a 4 2 3 1, I think just works perfectly well. So I can see Chelsea playing 4 4 2 off the ball when it comes to pressing and then just taking one step up and trying to close Arsenal there. So I think, it, I think that's going to be a huge problem for Arsenal and something that Jonas has to try and figure out how he bypasses that 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 4-4-2 press i'm usually high with praise for aaron cuthbert and guru right but this week's not the week um, <laughs> next week next week it's fine <laughs> next week we'll see um jesse and looking at arsenal here from a chelsea lens perspective where do you think um chelsea can benefit obviously the high press and all that um do you think that's going to be the biggest kind of advantage that chelsea can put themselves into yeah, I think the press is like a, an obvious thing. I think even if Leah Williamson plays, Chelsea will feel like they can put pressure on the th- other three defenders um, that, that Arsenal will have. I think they will feel like, um, you know, any of the players in their attacking line can can really shut those down and cut off those passing lanes into midfield. Um, I think what will be interesting for me is is kind of is actually basically just Beth Mead um she obviously ran riot in that kind of opening game and I do think that kind of dynamic wing play is Chelsea's kryptonite but 
again, it, I feel like so much depends on on where everyone plays for Arsenal because I think um, whoever plays in front of Noel Maritz has a much harder job on their hands in terms of how much pressure they can put that side under because she just doesn't really offer in my opinion at least, doesn't really offer it much. I thought it was so telling that one of Arsenal's best attacks against United was when Maritz finally like overlapped with Beth Mead. And I was like, oh my God, like we've literally been waiting like 70 minutes for you to do this. Like, why has it only happened now? Um, you genuinely think she couldn't run. I, I really don't understand it personally. Um, but if Mead was to play on the left with Catley, um, I do think, because I assume Catley will play at left back if Katie McCabe's not available. Um, I do think that is a tricky proposition for Chelsea to deal with or, or is something I would worry about with the caveat that, to be fair to Jess Carter, who's been playing at right back, she literally just dealt with Lauren Hemp for like the first 70 minutes of, of the game against City and like really Hemp didn't didn't have much of a, a sniff. Um, certainly not, wasn't afforded it anywhere near like the kind of space that, that Mead was in that in that opening fixture. So yeah, I, I think, you know, we talked about this before the FA Cup game. Mm-hmm. They're two fascinating sides because I think where City as a team, I think we all agree, don't always have a great plan, but they've got exceptional players. I think Chelsea and Arsenal is just such a genuinely tactical battle where you can see in every area of the pitch, you can kind of see both sides of the question. You could see how each could shut the other down. Um, but I think, yeah, high turnovers, especially after that FA Cup final, will, will just be what Chelsea are looking for because they feasted on it at, at Wembley and I think they'll think they can do the same again. There's no need to bring that that up, Jesse. That was a bit, a bit low that. But Abdullah, Jesse mentioned a couple of battles there that could be kind of big for to get a result in this. If you had to pick up players or an area of the pitch where you think it will be a difference for both Chelsea and Arsenal, one of each, um, what are they? Ooh, good question. Uh, if I had to pick players out or an area of the pitch, so I'm probably going inter- to interchange the same question together. So I'm going to say the, the, the classic cliche of midfield just because I think for both Arsenal and for Chelsea, it's the one area which makes them tick. We know the quality and attack for both teams. Miedema, Blacksenius, Kerr and Harder and Kirby, uh, the back the back lines. All right, you know, Chelsea have no Magda, but they're playing Anik Nawa. Same thing with Arsenal. They may not have William Williamson. They're playing, you know, Steph Catley or whoever else there. So I think midfield will be interesting. I, I, and I'm really excited to see, more from a personal perspective, I'm excited to see the Ingle Cuthbert versus the Marnham Volti, you know, uh, battle. I think that'll be that'll be interesting because I think both um, Cuthbert and, and Marnham are so energetic and they're so important to the way um, their sides play in midfield. I think especially with Marnham, as soon as she's come in this season, I think her kind of uh, move progression with the ball in midfield, her energy, and, I, and I, I'm really impressed with her power as well. So I think. To stop her will be really key to, to stop Arsenal from progressing through the middle, which is what they'd like to do anyway. And then if you think about it, and if Viv's playing in that midfield, then you, you really need to then see how um, they balance that out and what Chelsea do to kind of counteract Viv in midfield. Because if if uh, is going to play there, maybe in the hall as a 10, then Ingle needs to literally just sit on, on Miedema at times and block that, you know, block the supply into her, but then that also relies on Cuthbert stopping in the supply from whether it's Volti, Manum, whoever else is playing there. So I think that tidbit, that battle, I think for me, is going to be very interesting tactically to see how who stops whose um, kind of supply into their front line. And um, I think at the end, and then just one more thing I want to pick up on is um, 
is I think the the guru writing on the left versus whoever plays at right back, whether it's Noel Maritz or or, or whoever else. I think that will be an interesting uh, interesting one to see how that ends up uh, playing out because guru writing is probably in the form of a life right now, and um, she's just popping up anywhere and everywhere. So someone has to pick her up and and, and see what happens there. Praise for Gora and will come next week. Um, <laughs> looking at the Chelsea Man City match, uh, Chelsea had on held on to a one 0 win. Uh, both sides finished with eleven attempts on goal, but Chelsea had four on target to City's three. Um, though City did edge possession with fifty eight percent, which isn't as is isn't a surprise considering. We've mentioned many, many times on this podcast that possession isn't the biggest interest for Chelsea. Um, it's just about getting the ball high as possible, as quick as possible. Um, as we've seen in many times, Chelsea scoring goals are just four touches, basically. Um, but in terms of personnel, Sam Kerr was back in the starting eleven, and Magda Eriksson is still out with what is suspected as an ankle injury. Um, of course, Emma Hayes doesn't speak to anyone about it, so... She has no spoken about this now, to be fair to her. Barely. I think it's a deltoid injury. Yeah, which was initially deltoid. thought as a shoulder, but then yeah. Yeah. that was cheeky from Emma Hayes to say it was a deltoid. <laughs> it's like a, a like a, the smallest ligament in the ankle that could possibly be it. I think she said she should be back after the international break. Hopefully. But that could be a lie, to be fair. But she has at least spoken about it now. She has lied before. We we do know that. <laughs> um, but Magda hasn't been called up um, for this international break for the Swedish national team. So potentially with that time off could be possible. Um, but yeah, uh, Aaron, Cuth- Aaron Cuthbert versus Lauren Hemp in this Chelsea Man City game was also really tasty. And young centre-backs in Anik Nowen and Ruby Mace, I thought impressed quite a bit not like amazing but I think they did they held up their own quite well and Chelsea started with what is thought to be a 4-2-3-1 for this uh, with Yona Aniston Nanik now and Millie Bright and Jess Carter across the back and can I say I will take on a 1v1 of Millie Bright and Vivian Miedema any time of the day Millie Bright had almost had a few blunders which I was laughing internally about um, but Jesse overall thoughts on this match yeah I mean I think it's pretty much like First half, good. First 15 minutes of second half, okay. Last half hour, ah! <laughs> that would be my review. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought Chelsea started really well. Um, the high press was really good. Um, loads of high turnovers. City were really struggling to get anywhere. But not only that, Chelsea were actually bizarrely, like perfectly happy to kind of play around play around with the ball at the back and keep possession um, which I thought was like working really well for them Um, they were doing really well to like stifle City felt like they were really focusing on not letting Lucy Bronze have the ball which makes sense to be honest Um, I do think you know I'm sure Jess Park will be a good player but I, I do think some of the reason Jess Park looks so good a lot of the time is because she has Lucy Bronze in support Um, and I felt like it became apparent that when she didn't have Lucy Bronze in support she then didn't, there wasn't much going on there. Um, so I, I thought that that was clever um, from Hayes to really focus on that. Um, but then obviously kind of as the game went on, I don't know if Chelsea were tiring. I don't know if it was the wind. I don't know if they were just kind of like freaking out. Um, but over time, City obviously got a bit more into it. Um, yeah, I thought the 
bringing Vicky Lasada on really helped City out because suddenly they were starting to be able to find angles into midfield. Um, she was able to kind of create a triangle. Hemp had moved out to the right as well when Judy Blackstad came on. So there was kind of this Hemp bronze Lasada triangle, which is like pretty scary <laughs> when you think about the quality of those three players. So maybe it's no surprise that Chelsea kind of started to creak a bit. Um, and then, and then similarly, Chelsea made some changes, which didn't really help them out. I think, you know, I think getting rid of harder um, just lost a lot of, of the intelligence of her press and, and the out ball and her ability to carry the ball. And as I kind of touched on earlier, like I don't think Frank Kirby's having the best time of it at the moment um, and it didn't really work for her. So I think kind of the combination of City and Chelsea substitutions kind of allowed allowed the pressure to shift a bit more. But that being said, like even though it was nervy and City probably should have scored. Like if I was there, I'd be pissed off I didn't score. They still really didn't create that much. Chelsea, I think, defended the dangerous areas of their box really well, even though they shouldn't have allowed it to get to the point where that was all that they were doing. But I, I felt like it wasn't that they were lucky that they didn't concede. It it felt like that that was fair. But I think it's not ideal to be having taking on that much pressure when you're only one up. Yeah, I think that was a really good summary of it. I watched um, kind of the last 30 minutes. I was in Cotsworld with Alice um, and I made her drive. Aww. So I can watch the last 30 minutes of that's the match cute. in the car. <laughs> um, Look at her, so Girlfriend of the Year Award right there. I know. I know sacrifice. There. What is I'm I'm um, completely oblivious. What was the Cotswolds? Yeah, it's basically just like a little section, kind of right like English between, countryside. Yeah, between London and Birmingham, kind of area with like really old towns. Got it. I, anyway, I speak there on was me. Of the international audience. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, but there was me basically walking through like an 18th century little town, watching. Chelsea Man City on my phone um, So you can picture that however you want But Abdullah, where on the pitch Did Chelsea win this match? Um, obviously not a lot of Attacking as Probably we would see Normally, but where yeah. was Kind of the crucial moments that happened? I think the crucial moment was I think the crucial moments were off the ball In the first half, I think whatever work that, that Chelsea did off the ball in the first half That led to um, that led to them then getting that spell of good possession and attacking. And obviously when Jess Carter had the the assist for the goal um, to, to go right. And I think that period is probably where, when they, when they probably won it. And obviously they, they defended for their lives um, as the, as the, as the game went on. But so I think, I think for me, it's, it's, it's that, if anything, I think it was the wider areas, just because obviously that's where the goal came from and that's where the goal scorer was originally from. So I think the wide areas and the big from the beginning of the game, I think they helped win it for Chelsea because they really stopped uh, City's wide players and and arguably City's wide players from a fullback and a, an attacking perspective are their most important players. And Lucy Bronze and, and Lauren Hemp and Jess Park also uh, usually has a really good impact. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say the wide areas for Chelsea were really the um, the, the place that won it for them. And Justin, we briefly, you already mentioned how Vicky Lozada was kind of the only midfielder who was able to find those pockets of space in front of the Chelsea defensive line and was able to create those angles, you know, quick passing, first touch, second touch passes. Um, do you think if this is something that if Arsenal do right, you know, with the likes of 
tactical genius Vivian Miedema, um say a Jordan Nobbs, a Kim Little, if this is done right, do you think that it can create a big problem for Chelsea? I think it could, but I was surprised Arsenal did so little of this against United. Like I was surprised Nobbs and Little weren't dropping back more to kind of create new and different angles. They really just left Volti to kind of sit on that pivot on her own. So I think it could, but it feels weird that they didn't pick it up in game. So I don't know if they're going to do it. Um, I, I definitely think as much as I like the Cuthbert and Ingle midfield, and I think they're, they're very effective, obviously you're always going to have in that kind of system, like a potential overload, depending on how um, alert your wide players are. I definitely think Chelsea felt like playing Jesse Fleming on the wing was, that was the right thing to do, I think, because it allowed her to support Jess Carter with Lauren Hemp, but also tuck in if she needed to. But actually, in reality, Caroline Weir really struggled to get into the game at all. So I don't think she needed, she ended up needing to do that much tucking in. But I guess, you know, if everyone's still fit, that's the kind of, that's why it's great to have a player like Jesse Fleming who can kind of do everything for you on the pitch because that's how you can deal with that overload, I guess. Um, obviously, Vicky Lasada was playing on the opposite side and then Jesse Fleming basically went off anyway for new trials. So we didn't really see how that one might have played out, but I guess that's one like solution Chelsea could have if if Arsenal were going to try try and do that. But uh, yeah, I do think that is that is the way to kind of try and find some advantages in those midfield, especially if you can then get Miedemar dropping back. And it's something that Bunny Shaw was doing, like she also quite likes to do that, to drop into midfield and try and pick the ball up there. Um, But because Gareth Taylor's so clever, he took Bunny Shaw off for Vicky Lasada. So by the time they got possession in dangerous areas, they didn't have a striker on the pitch anymore. So, you know, maybe that's why it didn't quite work out for them. But yeah, I think there's joy to be had there, definitely. Should be interesting. Let's hope that Tactical Genius is actually put in a 10. I um, think it could be quite cheeky. I actually had to play with the lineups um, of what could happen. And I think having players on the bench is slightly more important for Arsenal coming against Chelsea. I think there's going to, the lineup isn't necessarily going to be the best of the best. I think Jonas might want to save a few players and see how the game plays out to potentially then move Viv into a 10, but we shall see. Um, but Abdullah, in terms of personnel on the pitch for Chelsea and the formation, do you think it should be the same formation and lineup against Arsenal? It's a tough one because then you've got to think about, okay, do, do Arsenal pose the same sort of threats as, as City do? You know, obviously with City, it's very much, obviously wide areas are similar, both like, say, for example, Mead and, and Hemp you know, would have the same similar sort of effect for their own team. So that's an important place to take care of. But then uh, Arsenal don't have a, a Lucy Bronze figure or Demi Stokes even. They don't have um, fullbacks like that who are really going to cause you some issues. So uh, it, it, I think it's a 50-50. But I would, I would harbour a guess that, that, that I think Chelsea play a 4-4-2. Um, just to be on the safe side and maybe even count. I think I think they might even play a little bit of a counter attacking side. So I think the, the 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 lineup could actually stay the same, just moving more into a four four two. Then I mean, at, to be fair, four two three one four four two very interchangeable. It's just about the the positioning of the uh, of the wingers. This just really just makes a difference. So I think so. So I think yeah, four four two same lineup, and I yeah I would just go for that because I think 
nobody deserves to exactly be dropped, but I don't think there's any other options on the bench considering Kirby's a, a, a loss of form recently that will really come in and maybe change anything to, you know, as part of the game plan that that was there against City. So, yeah, I would probably start with the same 4-4-2, same lineup. And now focusing even more on Friday. Let's try to get through this as fast as possible. Um, Jesse, how are you feeling about it? Well, from a, a neutral perspective, I'm really looking forward to it because I just think it's set up so fascinatingly. Obviously, Idaval came, there was that first game. It was a weakened Chelsea side, but, you know, Arsenal won and really dominated that. And then we went into the FA Cup and we thought, you know, has Hayes come up with an answer for this? And the answer was, yes, she she has very thoroughly come up with an answer an answer for this. And, and now we're then kind of, you know, at 1-1, as it were, and it's now kind of feels like it's Idaval's turn to, you know, does he have an answer for what Hayes Hayes did before? Because I think, you know, that FA Cup Chelsea appearance felt much more like classic Chelsea than, you know, the the way they performed at the Emirates, um, you know, coming off the summer. And I, I was actually having a look at that lineup and I was thinking, well, of all the players who played for Chelsea in that um kind of starting eleven, the only players who you think would play in the same positions are Anne Katrenberger, Millie Bright, and uh, Peniel Harder and everyone else you think will play will be playing either won't be starting because you know like Beth England started and things like that or that they're, they're the tactics have shifted so much across the course of the season so you know I'm I I honestly just I just don't know I don't I can't predict what will happen I think Chelsea do have a big advantage you know being at King's Meadow and I think I know they lost the the record that last year against Brighton, but I do think it, it has, you know, it's still like a a venue which they take a lot of confidence in in playing at. You know, I think that kind of familiarity, the fans, I think all of that kind of you know suits Chelsea. And I think also what's suiting them is maybe this feeling of getting to chase Arsenal rather than having rather than feeling like the pressure is on them. You know, Chelsea, I think, can come away with a draw in this game and feel pretty good about the position they're in, whereas Arsenal really need to go for the win. And that's not normally a you know position that Chelsea can really like feel like they have the the luxury to be in, I think, to say, well, you need to come, you need to come here and prove yourself to us. So um I think it's leaning in Chelsea's favour, but honestly, like the quality of these players, like someone like Viv Miedemar, like someone like Jordan Nobbs, like these are all just like players you can turn up and just do like crazy shit. And I think that's what everyone's kind of hoping for, right? I think that sums it up quite well. Abdullah, what do you think will happen? I think will happen. You know what? We're all going to get born into a bore draw of nil-nil. Nothing's going to happen. Two shots overall in the game. <laughs> like one shot on target. It's just setting itself up to be like that after all the hype. No, um, jokes aside, I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a tight affair. I think the first maybe 20, 25 minutes will be a, a little bit cagey. Both teams will want to feel each other out. You know, I think it'll be one of those where they don't. Nobody wants to give away the first goal. Kind of similar to the way um, the, the the Man City game was over the weekend. Um, but I think I think there will be. I don't think it'll be a high scoring affair. I think it'll be. I think there'll be a couple of goals in it. So you know, it, it's it's. Um, I think it'll be a tight fair game. But I think it'll be really interesting tactically. I think that's what I'm most looking forward to in this game. No matter what happens. It's going to be, you know, everything aside, it's a really show, like a big showcase of the two top top teams of England right now. And just the history, not only of, you know, Chelsea, Arsenal rivalry, 
the Emma Hayes, Yanis Eideveld 1-1 draw, that makes it even more enticing. You know, the tactics of both teams have changed so much as the season has progressed. You know, personnel missing, Magda Eriksson, Leah Williamson, just so many little factors that are making this so, so good. So, so nerve-wracking. Um, I'm excited, but I don't want it to happen yet, but I want it to happen. Um, just a mix of emotions. But Jesse, what would be your ideal formation and lineup for this from a Chelsea perspective? I think just stick with the the City lineup. I, I really don't see any reason to change it. Um, I do think Arsenal pose similar problems to City, just in a slightly more advanced tactical way. But I think in terms of thinking about how, you know, they've got strong technical wingers who can kind of cut inside and, and shoot as well as take take you on on the outside. I think that's very similar to where City's threat lies. And I think, you know, maybe feeling a bit nervous about John Anderson aside, Chelsea did quite well with that. I thought, yeah, Cuthbert and Ingle were immense together in midfield. And to be honest, the, <laughs> given the sparsity of Chelsea's squad at the moment, the only real question is, is do you bring Kirby in for someone, right? But given Harder's form and given that you want Sam Kerr up front, I don't really see why you risk... I, you know, I guess the only option would be maybe you take Guru Wrighton out to match up Arsenal's three in midfield, to put Jesse Fleming in midfield and then and then have the front three of, of Harder, Kerr and Kirby. But I just think Wrighton's form compared to Kirby's form just means that seems like a ridiculous thing. And, you know, Kirby, as much as she's going through a bit of a, a rocky patch is, is a fantastic player to come off the bench. Um, especially maybe if, you know, and I think this is what Hayes wants to happen with, with City is, is normally we see, and maybe the wind kind of stop this from happening a little bit, but you know, she's the player who, who you want to put the ball over the top for her to, to run through one-on-one, you know, if, if you've got that, you've got that lead and you can kind of do that counter-attack. So I just think that that whole lineup was, is kind of pretty much the best Chelsea can get right now. Yeah, for Arsenal, it's going to be interesting. I think for Arsenal, it as bad as it sounds, I think it relies heavily on who the centre-back pairings are. Um, because once you have a solid centre-back pairing for this Arsenal side, you can then release Leo Valti of some pressure. You can release Kim Little, Jordan Nobbs, whoever's in the midfield of some pressure and allow them to step up and properly support the wingers or whoever gets the ball up top, whether it be an over-the-ball, out, say, out to Tobin Heath, Tobin Heath's first touch, they're able to play it back um, to a midfielder, which we didn't see much of against United. So I think for Arsenal, that centre-back pairing is kind of going to be the the base of it all. So that's going to be fun. Um, but Abdullah, what do you think Chelsea need to get right? One aspect that if they get right, it's looking good for them. The off-the-ball press. They get the pressing right. They can win this game because we know their counter-attacking potential with all the players on the pitch. So if they can get the press right and get the pressing traps right and, and close down the players and get you know high turnovers, then then it's just a matter of Sam Kerr finishing and 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 Penilla Harding, everyone getting into right spaces and scoring. So yeah, that would be my my one area. And Jossie, what do you think Arsenal need to get right? I think whoever Arsenal play at centre back, they need to make sure that they have options when they're on the ball. I think as much as we've talked about how, you know, whether it's been BT, Wabamoy, Catley, like none of them are Leah Williamson, that's fair. I, but I really think 
Arsenal's midfield has kind of um, escaped some of the limelight. And I, I do think they have a role to play in how much those players have struggled because I feel like those players just haven't been given the options um, by by the rest of the Arsenal team. So I think if, you know, they can focus on finding those players to, to drop back, um, to support Valti, to maybe just mix it up as well. Like have players making runs, which, which Chelsea don't think they're going to do. Like it doesn't have to be consistent throughout the game, but just, just having something a bit different, which gives those players options and doesn't leave them kind of sat on the ball because you know, we know what Chelsea are like. They will happily watch you pass the ball across your back four. And that's kind of what was going on for Arsenal in that United game. It was just like minutes and minutes of play where it was just going um, across the back four. And, and Chelsea will just feed on that because they'll believe that they'll get there two or three moments where they will press you and they will turn over the ball. So I think, you know, speed of movement and, and options um, for Arsenal are key. That's fair. And Abdullah, if you had to pick one player from each side, who's going to be the game-changing player? All right. On, on, on Arsenal's side, I'll have to caveat this by saying Leah Williamson's fitness. If she plays, obvious choice, Leah Williamson becomes the most important player from, from of an overall team perspective. So let's assume she's not there. Um, Mirama, without a doubt, I think she's the tal- talisman, talismanic figure of the Arsenal side, obviously now playing in a, in a deeper midfield role. Uh, of probably one of the passes of the season already. So, you know, we can see the quality that she has in, in midfield. So I would say I'll put Leah Williamson in there, but if she's not playing, I'll, I'll give it to Miedema. And um, uh, from a Chelsea perspective, I think I think you got to give it to Penilla Harder just because of the, the free role that she's had. And I don't, I don't think we talked much about too much about her free role that she had against City, but that, that really showed who she is as a player. And I think um, both on and off the ball, Penilla Harder did extremely well. And I think if she can, if she can keep her movement between the lines good, well, and, and kind of move around and have the same sort of effect and, and, and evade the midfielders and Penilla Harder can win that game on her own. So yeah. So Leah Williamson and Penilla Harder for me. I think that's quite fair. Um, and we'll do quick productions. Um, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll start if you guys want. Um, I'm going to go easy and say it's going to be a one-on-one draw. I think that can keep most people happy, though. Obviously not ideal for Arsenal, but I don't know if Arsenal have the encouragement. I don't, I don't know what word to use, like the drive and the encouragement to kind of get one better over Chelsea. Um, Cause I think Chelsea are just much sharper mentally than, than Arsenal are at the moment. Um, so I think that's going to be quite interesting, but Jesse, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm torn because, you know, I'm normally very pessimistic about Chelsea. And then I got really optimistic after the FA Cup final. And then we like lost fucking everything. And that was just like proof to me about how you should never be optimistic. But I am going to back uh, Chelsea win here and deal with the hubris and awfulness that will happen if we lose. Um, But I just feel like um, I think the when Chelsea got knocked out of the Champions League, I kind of was like, does this does this still matter? Yeah, thanks. Alex is doing a loser sign. Um, but I was like, does this matter? To, like, does what happens the rest of the season matter to these players? Because um, we win the league every year uh, and all the other trophies every year in England. So, you know, like how much motivation do you have? But I think 
this title race, and I'm also going to caveat with saying that I don't think this is done. I don't think this game is it. I think there's way more to come. Um, but I just think this title race, the idea that maybe Arsenal were taking Chelsea off their perch has has really got to these players and got to Hayes. And I just think they're going to be really, really fired up. And I still think there is, you know, Arsenal was so good in that Emirates game because they had like a bite, which Arsenal hadn't had for a long, long time. And I think that's what was scary. But I think what we've seen over the past couple of months, tactical stuff aside, is kind of like this regression back to old Arsenal. And I just think they don't have that same, it's kind of, yeah, like Alex, what you just said, that same kind of fight that I just think Chelsea will have. And and the idea that Chelsea will will let this game pass them by, I think on, on their own ground is is hard for me to imagine, to be honest. I think that's fair, Abdullah. Quick prediction. But Jesse, what's your score prediction? <laughs> oh, I have to do a score prediction. Um, I think it'll be another KG 1-0. I think that's going to... I feel like Chelsea will have that, that same kind of... I think it'll be similar to the City game. Fair. So... Yeah, kind of the same. What we are saying is, I mean, I'm I'm very similar to, to what Jesse the way she's thinking. Uh, they're thinking about it, but um, for me, I uh, I, I was I was thinking, I'm like, is it better for Chelsea to be chasing Arsenal because I also have a feeling that there are more points to be dropped across the board. I think the league that someone will take points off these two teams. Are Chelsea better at chasing Arsenal or are they better at leading the pack? You know, it's 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 a matter of then 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 the pressure switches in a different sort of way. Like if you're leading and you drop points, then the second place knows that they can take that point. They can they can take it and they can go forward. It's it's between like, do you then predict a draw? Or do you then predict a win? Now, if if Chelsea are at it and they can, and if they were of Chelsea of last season, um, it's a matter of then it's no it's a no brainer. Chelsea win the game. They're going to win every other game and the league's over. But this season is different. They're not winning every game. There's no guarantee anymore. It becomes very tough. I think I'm I'm also going to go KG. Like I said before, I think it's going to be a KG game. Two <sighs> one Chelsea. I'll give I'll give I'll give a couple of goals in there. It'll be a, I think it'll become a couple of a counterattacking goals. I think I think it'll be. I'm just because I've been calling the press so much. I think it's going to be pressing move. At least one is going to be high press turnover counterattack goal type type move. So I think I think two on Chelsea uh, will be will be the one. You know what? I'm going to change it just for Jesse. I'm going to say Beth Mead hat trick. <laughs> <laughs> Optimism Honestly, it's fine. If it's a Beth Mead hat trick, you guys will never see my face again. I'll be I'll be living somewhere else. I'll go to Chile, Alex, rather than you. <laughs> Take my ticket. <laughs> Change your name to Alex. <laughs> Fair. Um, but that concludes our Arsenal Chelsea analysis. And now we'll quickly cover two more matches in WSL that I think are, are definitely worth talking about. Um at the other end of the table, of course, as mentioned at the start of the podcast, a big one for Leicester City over Birmingham, which means there is now a five-point gap between Birmingham at the bottom and Leicester, obviously, second to bottom. Um, now, Birmingham keeper Emily Ransby did get sent off in the 26th minute. Um, another week, another controversial officiating call on the WSL. What a surprise. Um, but Louise Quinn did spark hope in Birmingham. Um, she equalized in the 80, 85th minute. Um, and I thought the wrestling match to get the ball back after um, Louise Quinn's quarter was kind of funny. Um, but Lester did close out the match. And yeah, that's the situation at the bottom of the table. Not looking too good for Birmingham. But Jesse, there's no need to kind of talk even more how big these three points are but do you think there's any 
any chance of Birmingham City turning this around. Yeah, it seems it seems tough, doesn't it? I mean, they're what five points off Leicester now, having played the same number of games. It seems hard to imagine, uh, to be honest, even though it was really fun when it got like briefly exciting. And I blame Leicester for ruining all the fun and making it slightly less exciting again. Um, I think that, you know, I think Birmingham have shown in in lots of games since they kind of switched managers that they can put up a fight. And I do think, you know, especially towards the end of the season, as we get to the point where teams maybe aren't fighting for those Champions League places anymore, that stuff kind of starts to stretch out a bit. I do think you you never kind of know what mental state some of those mid-table teams are going to be in. And I, I feel like there are always like, you know, right right for upsets. I mean, it's I feel like it's more from a Leicester perspective, like that if they fuck this up, it would be really bad for them. Um, but yeah, it, I think it would be pretty impressive for, for Birmingham to get out of this, even just looking at their goal difference as well. Like it's minus 27 to Leicester's minus 18. So they'd need to like get the points on the board. And I don't know if it will happen. Arsenal have already proved that Birmingham can get points off of um, bigger sides. But Abdullah, Leicester play West Ham next week in the league, which could be a fun challenge. Um, Obviously, we know West Ham have been playing quite well, but this is, you know, this gives Leicester a a big boost. Um, Maybe kind of a boost to start playing consistently against all the sides that they face and not just a few. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I like I, I've liked Leicester this season. I think they've been one of the teams that has that. I mean, the first few games, I think they lost the first five or six, if I don't remember correctly. Um, they always played football that you thought you, you're not playing badly. You're just like not finishing chances, a couple of unlucky you know, moments. And, you know, they should have picked up at least a couple of points within that bad run. Um, so, they, they, so they've impressed the season in terms of the way they've been playing football. I think that's been good. And coming in from a, from a league where they were, they were the most dominant possession, dominant side, they won the league. They, 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 they beat teams quite, quite easily in some, some cases to, to kind of switching their system, playing three at the back and kind of becoming a more, counter-attacking deep low block side uh, to some extent. Um, So kind of, I think that transition didn't help them in the beginning, uh, uh, you know, but I think now they're getting to their stride and they, they, they were slowly getting to a point where, you know, nil, nil should have been one nil to them and one, one should have been two ones. And, you know, obviously the Birmingham game was the, the most important game for them all season, just because they were the closest rivals for relegation and they got three points again. So I think this is. I think there's a little bit of little bit of pressure off them to, to, and because they've created that gap. And I think they can get because obviously West Ham have been so inconsistent this season. We know that, so we could any any West Ham could show up. But if if Leicester can can stick to the game plan, defend well in their in their five, and counterattack well, um, then I think I think they can take points off uh, off this West Ham side and 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 you know finally start climbing up a couple of points on that table and maybe catch uh, you know Everton who are just kind of hovering around there. Oh Everton and Jesse, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but what are the teams that you think Birmingham City can get points from? I do have good news for Birmingham because they do still have to play Arsenal again. So there's three points there guaranteed. Great. Uh, in terms of the other teams that they could take points off, um, you're probably going to look at, at 
Brighton, I guess. Uh, they've still got to play and Aston Villa on the last day of the season. Um, but really, I think this is a question of of whether we think Leicester are going to carry on picking points at the like at an equivalent equivalent rate. And I mean, really, Leicester Birmingham was probably like Leicester's last easy game. So it wouldn't surprise me if Leicester lost every game from here on to the end of the season. I'm just going to say that to like, that is kind of true. It's West Ham, United, Everton, okay, maybe not Everton, Chelsea, Arsenal, City, Reading, and Tottenham. Um, I'm like, Reading and Tottenham are both like in, in good teams and in good form. So it could be done. Birmingham, keep believing. I'm going to keep believing in you because it would be miraculous. Um, but yeah, the, those Brighton and Villa games, I think are the two that they'll, they'll really focus on if, if they want to get those six points and think Leicester loses everything else from here on out. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Abdullah, both teams have to play Arsenal, Chelsea and Man City from now until the end of the season. And we've seen Birmingham do it before. Obviously, Leicester are not there yet, but have proven to be a bit better form than, than Birmingham at the moment. But could either of these teams capitalize, do you think, from teams at the top? Super tough. I think, I think for these two, I know Birmingham did it, but they've got to catch them on a super off day. Like they've got to really frustrate uh, Chelsea and Arsenal and, and City. And they actually have to be at a point where they, they've got to be on point for 90 minutes. Like they can't even have 10 seconds of like a, a turning off. And I think, um, I think they might have to rely on a couple of injuries to these big sides to some players, you know, ro- or maybe rotation rather if, 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 you know, the three teams decide to rotate some players in and out. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it comes down to defensive organization. If they can hold off the teams and and, and hold off a second, we've seen obviously Brighton did it, uh, Reading beat Chelsea as well. You know, so teams have done it before who aren't really expected to win. But I think this might be a stretch too far for for Leicester and Birmingham to for for Birmingham to do it again, and for Leicester to possibly take these points off off these uh, off these big sides, especially when at that point of the season, they're all fighting for top three Champions League places and titles. And I think that probably is going to give the top three a little bit more of focus, mental focus to say, okay, we've got to be on point. Every point is important for cities. Like, okay, we need to get third spot for Arsenal and Chelsea's who are fighting for the title. So I don't think they'll leave any points on the table um, when it comes to that point of the season. That's pretty fair. I think it should be interesting. Uh, as Jess mentioned, I think it's more pressure is on Leicester to to make sure that they keep up that gap now. But another match that I think is worth talking about, Tottenham 4, Brighton nil. Rianne Skinner got the best of one of box-to-box legends, Hope Powell. Uh, Kai Simon returned with India with a bang, getting a brace against Brighton, and Ashley Neville and Shalina Zdorsky were also on the score sheet. Brighton finished with five attempts on goal, but none on target. And Hope Palace side have now dropped to eighth place, eight points off of Tottenham in fourth. Um, and Tottenham scored four goals. That's the first. Um, and this is the highest amount of goals that they've scored in a WSL match in the last two years, if not since they've been promoted. And of course, don't take that as an official stat because we all know women's football. Information can be a bit shaky. So this was kind of a quick skim over their, their results. But from what I saw, they have not scored um, four goals in a match so far, being capped at three. So that could be interesting. But Jesse, a miracle? Um, yeah, I mean, I just want to shout out Ashley Neville because she took her goal really well. And uh, given Jess Naz missed like the op- identical opportunity against City in the in the Conti Cup last week, I was like, good for you, gal, because, you know, 
I know it was like an important day for her too. So that was really nice to see. Um, is this a miracle? I don't know. Um, Brighton, I saw someone tweet that like maybe Brighton just keep Hope Pile around to like fuck with Chelsea every season. And, you know, I'm starting to like <laughs> get on board with that opinion because they are having a real, real bear of it. And, you know, we've gone from kind of talking about them as you know, I think I think we knew that seeing them as Champions League challengers was like a bit hopeful on our part. You know, I'd probably put Tottenham and West Ham in, in that same category as it's more interesting to theorise, but we we probably all, all still think and always thought that it was a toss-up between United and City. Um, but it just feels like they, when they concede, they go into like collapse mode and then they will concede lots of quick goals back to back. You know, we've seen this a couple of times, times a season and kind of Tottenham are just the latest beneficiaries of that. Um, God forbid Chelsea ever are beneficiaries of that. Um, no, but I mean, Chelsea have done it as well. Like this is just the thing that like they will hold out and hold out. And if it all starts going wrong, then that's it. And yeah, I, I, I don't know what the problem is there, you know, like maybe there's just not enough focus on game state. Maybe they are just stuck in a mentality of, of if they concede one goal, that's it. And they can't get back into a game, but um, it's really hurting them. And yeah, they're, they're, they genuinely look like they could finish 10th, which is, you know, really poor for, for, a, for a team like Brighton, really. And Abdullah, you know, we've, we've talked about Brighton and, kind of had decent hopes for them this season. Where do you think it's going so wrong for them? I, I, I don't know. Honestly, I, I agree with what Jessica said. I, I don't know. I can't really, you can't really point to anything exact and say this is, you know, it's a midfield problem, it's a defense problem. It's, it's, it's just, it's just kind of progressively regressed for the progressively regressed for them since the beginning of the season. I mean, they were, I mean, first four games, they were sitting in the top three, Life was good. They had scored something stupid like, you know, six, seven goals. Um, and Essek Hagman was on fire, scoring penalties and goals. And, and it's like every game they were just able to find a way to um, to fluidly attack and, and and get things done. And it's just since then, it's just these, the, the supply has dried up and they're just not able to um, just not able to, to, to capitalize or, or even, you know, focus. And. I think you've got to you've got to pretty put it down to I think just focus and 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 concentration in games and you know when they and it's just maybe a, maybe a mental fragility almost you know I, I, where once they go a goal down it's just very difficult for them to get back into the game and really find a way forward and I think creatively I think that also becomes a, a little bit of an issue for them um, and, and obviously I think Anessa Hogman's been a very important player she's probably just not been um, you know just not not been not been there in form as well or and. So yeah, it's a tough one to to put a finger down on. It's just you know it's unfortunate because they they were they started off really well in the season. We thought they would you know they probably kick on and maybe even finish in the top six or top seven. But yeah, finishing tenth, eleventh, I think would just overall be um, a disappointing season for them. Going on to Tottenham, um, they start to play Chelsea twice, uh, Arsenal, Man City once to see out the season. Uh, quick yes or no answers from both of you. Do you think they can get back into the Champions League spot over Manchester United and Man City? Jesse? No. Abdullah? No. Rianne Skinner is going to prove you wrong. <laughs> we have to get her on the pod. Rianne Skinner, if you're listening to this, please contact us. We have to I get I think her she's on the got pod. the other Skinner to blame. I've got to say, I think it's United's <laughs> to lose. So she should take it out with Mark, not with us. Yeah. I think she fine. should come on here to take it up with so Mark. Saying. And then we should <laughs> get Mark, you know, have it back and forth. Exactly. Skinner um, we'll have the great debate. We'll have the Skinner debate on Box the Box. The great debate. <laughs> the great debate. <laughs> 
but we'll we'll end it on that and that's everything from us uh from this WSL week we hope you enjoyed listening and enjoy some great football on friday night uh potentially more than me and jesse will enjoy it and you can keep up to date with our latest episodes and on our really boring tweets um on at box box on twitter and if you listen on a platform where you can leave a review we would greatly appreciate it and thank you everyone and see you soon Bye.